Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Now, nonstop sports talk continues with news and analysis from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. Not the hero we deserve, but the hero we need. This is the Big Six. It's going to be you. With your host, Jason Martin. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. We're taking you home on a Friday. All football, all NFL on this show. I will predict both the NFC and the AFC championship games. And I'm going to welcome in my good friend, former NFL offensive lineman Jeff Schwartz. And he will help me break these down. Plus, there's just a lot of crazy things going on around the NFL to talk to Jeff about. So we're going to have a fun time this hour. I'm going to give you my NFC prediction off the top of the show, and then we'll talk about the AFC game after Jeff joins us for a couple of segments. So we're going to bookend with these two football games. So unfortunately, and I'm Jason Martin, by the way. That's not unfortunate. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. I'm blessed beyond measure. I hope you realize you are as well. You can always hit me up there at jmartzone. Unfortunately, because Fox has the NFC and the Los Angeles Rams are still alive. We're going to have to brace ourselves to potentially hear one of the more ridiculous takes from a broadcaster in recent memory. And the reason why I'm concerned it could happen is because it already has happened. In fact, it happened six days ago in the Rams-Cowboys game. Troy Aikman, you know him. He looks a lot like Jay-Z. Super classy guy, won a few football games in his day. Smart dude. He said, Robert Woods of the Rams, in his opinion is the best and most talented wide receiver in the NFL. The problem with this comment, and I know this has zero to do with the game, but sometimes I just got to talk and you just got to listen because that's the breaks of me having this job. So bear with me here for a second. We'll get to the game. The problem with calling Robert Woods the best receiver in football is that Aikman isn't really complimenting him, even if he thinks he is, even if that's his intent. The same is true of people right now that are saying James Harden's a more unstoppable NBA player than Michael Jordan. That's something else that's been said a lot over the past few weeks. It's it's tough for James Harden. It's a different game in terms of the NFL. If you can go back to Robert Woods, dudes like Chris Carter or Ed McCaffrey or Art Monk or Clayton and Duper in Miami. I mean, the list goes on and on, and I didn't even mention the most obvious names in that list. Played at a time where they could get just broken in half without a flag even being thrown. It was a different game, and I know he didn't say history. He said today. But it's a problem for Woods because immediately it leads to people like me saying Aikman's insane rather than simply saying Robert Woods is a talented guy doing great work in Los Angeles for Sean McVay. You can call him a great receiver, but don't say he's the best in the league because that's demonstrably false. If you had a list, it'd probably start with a guy playing on the other team from Woods, Michael Thomas, 321 catches in his first three seasons in the league. That's an NFL record. Then you'd go to DeAndre Hopkins, then probably Julio and Antonio Brown, and maybe even Juju Smith-Schuster. Might start talking about Jarvis Landry. There's a list before you get to Robert Woods. But I digress. Off that soapbox. But, Troy, please don't say that again on Sunday. 
Now, I told you on Monday as part of my mea culpa that the one game I got right was Saints-Eagles. And then I mentioned the play where Drew Brees looked a DB off down the field, sent him sort of careening over towards the sidelines, and it led not to Alvin Kamara, as I said. It was Taysom Hill getting wide open down the field because Brees was staring down a target outside the numbers down the far sideline. And that target was Slimer. It was a ghost. There was no one there. I asked Coach Dave McGinnis about this just kind of in the building a couple of days ago, and he said the term there's a term for that in the league when a quarterback does something like that. It's not a term, by the way, I can repeat on this radio station, but that was gross. Brees turned 40 this week, becomes just the third guy in NFL history to start a playoff game at age 40 or beyond. The other two, Brett Favre, and the other guy playing on Sunday, 41-year-old Tom Brady, who also reached a Super Bowl at age 40. I tweeted out in the first half of the Eagles game on Sunday, where is Alvin Kamara? Because for a decent stretch of time, he was nowhere to be found. I started to wonder if Sean Payton's plan was maybe they were going to deploy him in the second half. Maybe he's a little fresher than usual. Philly's a bit fatigued, and then he runs wild. And I might have just kind of overthought it, but Kamara is going to be all over the place this Sunday against the Rams. I got it totally wrong about Zeke, as did most. The Cowboys got bullied in the trenches on both sides of the ball. All of a sudden, Los Angeles is out here playing inspired defense for Wade Phillips. I mean, even Indomitian Sue played every snap like he cared instead of about 60% or 40%. Zeke's running into eight and nine-man boxes. Dak didn't run nearly enough early, especially the Cowboys' defense had no answer for Sean McVay. He went run-heavy. Play action dependent as always, but it made the Dallas linebackers look like they'd never even seen a football before, much less know what to do when one is on the field. Now, the Rams looked really good on Saturday, but they still looked like, to me, they could have played better. Jared Goff was pretty solid early, but he was inconsistent in the second half. He still doesn't look anywhere like he did at the start of this year. Has definitely not been the same since Cooper Cup went out. C.J. Anderson, what he did and what he's doing is just amazing. And I think that's a testament to McVay as well as Anderson, who's a talented back, but he's bounced around the league. He was let go from three different teams in one year. But they faced New Orleans in the Superdome once this season, they meaning the Rams. Saints won that game. It was close because the Rams made a strong comeback, but it almost looked like it was about to get out of hand. The Rams stopped the bleeding at some point and began to pull close and back into the game but their defense had no answers for Drew Brees and company on that day and that same unit seemed to have all the answers to stop the Cowboys but this appears to be far different now I've mentioned this stat a couple of times during the postseason that no team since the 2012 NFL season would have been in the postseason happened in 2013 that has had to play on the road at any point in the playoffs has reached the Super Bowl. And I say reach doesn't mean one, means you have not made it to the Super Bowl if you've had to play on the road in the playoffs since the 2012 season. That was the 2013 Ravens team that went on that crazy run and ended up beating Colin Kaepernick's 49ers in the Super Bowl when the lights went out. So that's what the LA Rams are up against, and it's what the New England Patriots are up against. But I, I kind of find history to be overrated in sports. I really want to pick Los Angeles. I truly do. And I definitely want to see them win the game. I'm not a fan of the Saints, if I'm being honest here. And I try to do that at all times. I can't pick the Rams. As soon as the Saints got home field, it seemed like a wrap for the NFC. 
And I know it was supposed to be wide open this year in the playoffs. I said it, talked about how exciting the postseason was going to be. Other hosts on this station said it. We all said it. And in theory, it was true. But what we've seen since is basically chalk to the max. It's one versus two in both the NFC and the AFC championship game. The teams that we thought early in the season, middle of the season, were the four best in the league. They're the ones that are still standing. They're the four highest scoring offenses in football. They all have these dynamic play callers, three in the head coaching spot with Sean Payton and Sean McVay as the Battle of the Shawns happens for the NFC's way to Atlanta. And then there's Andy Reid, of course, with Eric Bieniemy in Kansas City. Then you've got Josh McDaniels in New England alongside Bill Belichick, who they've worked so long together. Belichick trusts McDaniels, and McDaniels is a brilliant offensive mind, despite what you might think about him from an integrity standpoint, especially after what happened with the Colts last year. So why exactly should Chalk stop now? There's no tougher place to play other than maybe Seattle and maybe if Mahomes is what we think he is, Kansas City, then New Orleans. That building is going to be unglued level rocking. Jared Goff's going to have a really tough time hearing himself. He's going to, and meaning hearing himself think, he's going to have a tough time hearing from Sean McVay. He's going to have a difficult time communicating with his teammates. It got really loud for Philadelphia, and it's going to be even louder for the Rams because the Saints know, and the Saints fans know, how they can impact this game. And the Rams' offense, being as prolific as it is, with all due respect to Nick Foles and the Eagles, this is a much different challenge for this New Orleans defense that now also does not have Sheldon Rankins. So it's going to be incredibly loud there. Now, the Rams have the firepower to win the game if New Orleans is off the mark, but you're not going to get me to predict them to do it. I'd love to see them in the Super Bowl. I think they're going to fall short. I think the Saints are going to win it by two touchdowns, 38-24, somewhere in that range. And that Sheldon Rankin's injury is the one thing that would worry me if I'm a Saints fan. Towards Achilles against Philly on Sunday, after he went out, the pressure rate dropped nearly 5%. The sack rate dropped 4%. Yards per play for Philly increased by over a half yard. He's big. He's important for sure. So that's my NFC pick. Saints are going to win it. Saints home field is just going to be too much to overcome. Coming up next, my good buddy Jeff Schwartz going to join the program. We'll talk about these games with him. He's going to be in Kansas City for Chiefs Patriots. His brother, the best right tackle in the NFL. Baby bro, of course, plays for the Chiefs. We'll see if they've talked a little bit about this matchup. Plus Nick Foles, these coaching hires, that crazy Adam Gase press conference. All of that is next. And then at the end of the show, I'll break down Chiefs Patriots and give you that prediction. We're covering these two games and the NFL for this entire hour to finish your week. Stick with us. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. In Big Six, finishing up your week on a Friday evening. NFL, pretty much the topic tonight. I already ran down my thoughts in detail in the first segment on the NFC Championship game at the end of the show. Final segment, we're going to book in with my predictions. NFC's out. AFC, I will finish the show with with Patriots and Chiefs. The guy that I think is actually going to be there is my good friend Jeff Schwartz. He's at Jeff Schwartz on Twitter, played on the offensive line in the NFL for eight years. His brother uh, is the right tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs, best in the league at that position. Jeff, what's up, my friend? Not much, man. I will be there. I'm excited. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be a blast. And um, it's 
not going to be very cold anymore. So I'm pretty pumped about that because it could have been it could have been <laughs> really cold, and now it's only supposed to be about 20. So um, I'm excited for this to get going, man. How cold is it actually going to be now? At one point, I saw your tweet where it said it's supposed it was going to be cold AF, and then you changed it around. But I still thought I saw your photo of thermal wear, thermal yeah. gear there for your head. So it's still going to be cold. It's just not going to be so unseasonably cold that you can't watch football or play football. Yeah, I mean the original they said it, it could be like negative fifteen with the wind chill, and now I think it's only supposed to be about ten with the wind chill. So that's a big difference. Um, and obviously, you know, I think the supreme cold weather would have favored the Patriots. Um, but now I think this is kind of goes back towards neutral. So I want to talk about the coaching hires and talk about these games, but I want to talk about some other weird situations and get your take on them. One is I had to do a double take, and I talked about this in the first segment of the show. Troy Aikman in the Rams Cowboys game made a statement that I thought like maybe I was delirious. And so I went back and I listened to it again. And sure enough, he did say that Robert Woods is the best wide receiver in football. And Joe Buck just kind of sat there for two or three seconds after he finished and didn't say anything and moved on to the next point. Why did Troy Aikman call Robert Woods the best wide receiver in football? And what service does that do to Robert Woods? Because all it leads to is boneheads, numbskulls like us sitting here saying, no, he's not, instead of just saying Robert Woods is a good football player. Well, I think you get caught up in the moment, right? Uh, you're calling a game, it's three and a half hours, you know, talk for the, that three and a half hours, you get caught up in the moment, right? I don't, I don't think if Troy would have redo that, he would say that. I, I understand that. I've called a couple games, nothing obviously passed conference USA games was the highest I ever did um, and you talk for a while sometimes you say things you come up in the moment do I think he really believes that probably not um, you know announcers say things I think at times that um, you know are, are geared toward the crowd that, that's listening to the game but no one thinks Robert Woods is even close to the best wide receiver in the NFL I think if you would ask Reichman today he would say that as well I think mean, he just well, it's not caught up in the moment, and obviously Twitter then takes control of those type of moments. It makes it bigger than it have to be. Well, I mean, I think he said something like, I was telling you this yesterday, Joe. So he had been thinking about this take, and he still brought it out that Robert, look, I like Robert Woods a lot. He's a very good player, very good player. Uh, but no, Troy, it, it wasn't a good thing. And speaking of people talking, and I saw you commenting on this after the fact, it's now a couple of weeks past, but Matt Nagy has actually come out over the past few days and discussed it, is Cody Parkey going on all of these morning shows and people are saying, oh, look, he's just taking responsibility and ownership for what he's done. I don't see it that way. I think that Cody Parkey is just trying to get there and get a little bit of sympathy and get a little bit of FaceTime and turn this atrocity of a situation that knocked his team out of the playoffs into some kind of nice PR move where he can have a little fun from it. That's 100% what he's doing. Look, this idea that athletes do not take responsibility for their for their mistakes on the field is just a fallacy, right? More often than not, athletes do that. I would say that 90% of athletes, 95% of athletes, when make a mistake when you interview them after a game, they take the blame for it. The reason why we think the numbers the other way around and guys skirt blame is because we only hear about those. Because it's so common to say, you know, if I messed up a block, if I allowed a sack and, and I cost my team the game, you know, Jeff Schwartz takes blame, right? But if I had said, you know what, it's Eli's fault. Well, that makes more news than does Jeff Schwartz take the blame for a problem he created, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> so, look, he missed a kick. He also had nine points. The Bears' offense had six. Okay? Yes. So he played better than the Bears' offense. He also missed a kick. 
one kick in a wild card game. It wasn't a Super Bowl. It wasn't divisional round. It wasn't even a championship. It was not. It was a wild card round. And this 100% screams for sympathy to her. No one. The, the thing about it is, people were like, "Well, he, he took blame." No one was asking him to go on national TV and take blame. He took the blame in, the, in his locker on Sunday night. No one was. At, no one was begging him to go on national TV and and be and be resilient and 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 show a strong face in, in, in adversity. No one was asking for that because he took the blame already. And everyone had forgotten after Monday outside of Chicago. No one talked about it. We were on to the games in the division round. I thought it was very self-serving. Um, I know that he um, has guaranteed my next year, but I could very well see him getting cut over this. I know people think that's harsh, but no one, I'm telling you, no one in the NFL respects him for doing that because, um, again, his job is kicking the football. His job is making kicks. Even though the kick was blocked, I think it was still going very left um, uh, off his foot. That's what it looked like. A guy who's 6'2 should not be blocking a kick like that at 40 yards. Whatever it was, 41 yards. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it's just a bad look, man. Um, in I, I don't I don't get why people wanted. I, I just feel there's like nothing good about this. There was, there was nothing I, good I, about I, this. I guess I just don't get the mentality of people being like. Oh, he's doing a great thing. Yes. I, I, I guess no one was asking him. To, no one was asking him, asking him to do this. The way it felt like to me, Jeff, was it's not that he took blame; it's that he wanted everybody to see him take blame. And I think that there's a difference between that. He wanted people to see that, so they can, "Oh, Cody Parkey, Cody Parkey missed a 43 yard field goal, but look what a stand up guy he is to do this." And I thought Matt Nagy was dead right. He said, "You know, we lose as a team, we win as a team. This was a me." moment you didn't see khalil mack come out and say we couldn't stop nick Foles on the drive prior to that because we all saw it we all knew it guys miss kicks it's unfortunate and there were people that i knew that were trying to compare cody parkey to steve bartman i said no he's the anti-bartman bartman had one mistake and then disappeared from public life and when he could have cashed in he never did he was in fair. He was in foul territory he didn't even make a mistake right he put the ball that was allowed he was allowed to try to catch um you know, this would be like Scott Norwood going on a national pub after tour after you know he misses the kick against the Giants. I mean, it's just and look, I'm telling you right now, it's going to cost him jobs in the future. Uh, NFL people are petty; um, they they know this stuff, they look at this stuff, and you know what? He also, you know, it may also be different if he had made every kick this year, and just missed the first. He missed eleven kicks this year. Eleven. Yep. He wasn't even good at his job, and he went on national TV to try to get sympathy for being bad at his job. No, your job is to kick the football, man. I'm very like anti-blame the kicker guy. Like I think that's pretty ridiculous to do, and I often will go out of my way to not blame kickers. Um, but this was atrocious, man. Just be quiet, go home, get ready for next season. Another thing that I wasn't a particular fan of happened with my franchise, which is John Elway coming out and saying hiring Vance Joseph was a mistake. Was there any need to go public and bury Vance Joseph like that, especially when you're John Elway and your job, you haven't necessarily done a particularly – standout job over the past several years, especially at trying to find talent at the position that you played as well as just about anybody in the history of the league. This felt like it this felt real low rent and unnecessary from John Elway to say that to Vance Joseph or about Vance Joseph. He's very lucky he was able to recruit Peyton Manning to that team because without a Super Bowl, he would have been fired already. Um, he has not done a good job. Uh, he goes out of his way at times to, to to say things about his coaches that I think are inappropriate. You know Five games into Vance Joseph's tenure, six games, or whatever it was, calls a team soft publicly. Like, dude, come on, man. Go, go in the team meeting room. 
to talk to your team if you have a problem. Tell Vance Joseph, but and going on TV and undermining your coach as he's trying to to go ahead and, and form a team identity and and try to forge a connection with his players, and you just undercut him like this. Like, get out of here with this. So, um, I, I don't I don't think John Elway is doing a good job as a GM, um, and I think he he is getting a pass because of obviously you know deserves the Hall of Famer, but that doesn't you know mean that you're going to be a great general manager. We often see that great players are terrible at GM positions or, or coach positions because their expectations are so um, misguided from reality because they're so good, right? They, they, like, John Elway's so good at the position of quarterback where he might not be able to judge other quarterbacks because he expects too much from them, right? Yeah. Because he doesn't, he doesn't know any different. It's the Michael so, Jordan effect. I, right. Like, I get that, right? Like, you can't always just because you're a good player doesn't mean you're cut out to be a general manager but if he had not gone Peyton Manning, and even the year they won, Peyton wasn't terribly good, um, he would be out of a job, I think. No, I, I 1 million percent agree with that for sure. Uh, Adam Gase has a job, and I just have to ask about the press conference. I don't know what, I don't even know what to say. I saw Dr. David Chow trying to explain yeah, this uh, on Twitter a couple of days ago as well, but have you ever seen something like, it wasn't, if it had been like two seconds, and he had a look, okay. But this was to the extent that other people at the table were looking at him wondering what was wrong with Adam Gase. And then you, then it comes out, Adam Gase doesn't really like criticism all that much. He doesn't handle it all that well. So why did you take the Jets job? The best part about that was the video of him staring at the taco that was doing Twitter. Well, that's one of the great videos of all time, Jeff. That's not just, uh, with, that's, that's with unbelievable. The, with, the, with the Titanic music happening? Yes. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I look. Adam Gase, I think, is a, is a good coach. Um, at times, he can be. I mean, he's, he's got he's got offensive mind. Obviously, we're hiring offensive minds like crazy right now. Um, but part of you know being a coach, especially in a market like that in New York, is you have to have the personality to deal with the media. They'll eat you up alive. And we know the Jets' ownership uh, far more than the Giants. But I do think the Giants have gone on this, this track lately. I really pay attention to the media and what the media says about their coaches. Um, and I think we're getting to a point now where. Um, you know, he hasn't even been, he hasn't even actually had a chance to coach the team yet, and people are already kind of questioning him, right? So uh, it's not it's not a good start, I'll tell you that. And obviously, what matters on the field is more important. But in a market like New York, man, you know, winning off the field is important too, um, especially when that chess ownership tends to really look at the media as a barometer sometimes of how well their coach is doing. Yeah, and if you're supposed to be an offensive guru, Sam Darnold better turn it around because, I mean, he's I the he guy. Will. Yeah, I think he will, too, because, yeah. I mean, I, I love the guy. I think he's got a ton yeah. of talent, just had the wrong people around him. They need to get some help in the draft and you get some skill players uh, and free agents. they got to do something yeah. to put around him. So we talked about Adam Gase coming up on the other side. Some of these other coaching hires, everybody trying to find the next McVay. But can he be found? More with Jeff Schwartz coming up next. Remember, he's on Twitter, at Jeff Schwartz. Big Six rolls along next, 104.5. Does it? Welcome back in. Big Six finishing up your week on a Friday evening. Uh, other coaching hires. I know we talked about this off air a couple of weeks ago. Clint, uh, Cliff Kingsbury. And Matt LaFleur and Zach Taylor now, if you have that uh, trajectory where you have maybe paid for a tab 
at a restaurant where Sean McVay happened to be at another table. Maybe he didn't even have to be at your table. You've got a chance to get a head coaching job. I get why people are trying to find the next Sean McVay, but I continue to, to think the reason they're trying to find him is because you can't find him, because he's a unicorn and because he's one of a kind. Yeah. And that's why I feel like these are some very interesting hires considering Kingsbury was 13-19 and 19 with Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback in college and was the worst coach in Texas Tech in 30 years and had just gotten fired from his alma mater, which is the one job he could have gotten, and then he goes straight into Josh Rosen, and they just assume he's going to be a quarterback whisperer? How do you feel about some of these hires? Well, I think you're right about the the, the thirst for the next Sean McVay. You, you said it perfectly, right? Sean is a unicorn, okay? He, he came from NFL royalty, right? He has been around the game for so long, and when he got that job at 30, you know, he was kind of been groomed for this. And if you look at... At, at divisional weekend, uh, seven of eight coaches were over 50 years old. Okay, uh, it takes a while to understand how, you know, what you have to do to, to get to the top. And McVay kind of got gifted, you know, Jared Goff, obviously good, good gift there. And they added some offensive linemen in franchise. They've done a good job of they have Aaron Donald. They've done a good job of building that roster. Um, but he is a unicorn, and you have a guy like like, like Kingsbury who hasn't, I, I guess developed some quarterbacks man i don't i don't know i don't know what the upside is to hiring him besides you hope he's sean mcveigh but his offense and josh rosen don't feel like a very good match right i I don't know um i'm of the opinion you hire the best coach possible um i like what tampa did with bruce arians Mm -hmm. bruce arians has been a fabulous uh, developer of quarterbacks throughout his career got Jameis Winston now. They hired a really good staff down there in Tampa. That, that to me, is my favorite hire. Now, of course, that doesn't seem to always be the best hire. We said, you know, no one like Doug Peterson. Look what he did. Yeah, I mean, we don't know. I mean, I, I thought the Matt LaFleur hire made no sense because I sat here and watched every down that the Tennessee Titans played last year. But I'm limited. Like, I know Matt LaFleur is a smart guy. I understand yeah. that, he, that he knows football. But all these guys know football. The thing is, being a head coach involves so much more. I sat here and talked to Dave McGinnis for hours about what the difference is between just being a coordinator and a head coach is in the NFL and that he said it real simple he said being a coordinator it's all about football and that's it and that's what you know and that's why you're there the coach football is almost the last thing because there's so much other stuff that goes into that job in terms of just being organized and structured and having to deal with the community and deal with all these various departments and that is the thing that makes or breaks a lot of these guys and you start to look around and a few of these hires are going to be absolutely brutal, and a couple of them are probably going to turn out to be all right. I just look at it and say, did Aaron Rodgers need a quarterback whisperer? I would say no. No, I, I don't think so either. Um, interesting, I saw Jay Glazer tweet out. This is a, the most, the craziest thing I've ever heard for a coach being hired. He said something like, Matt LaFleur decided to run the ball in Tennessee instead of pass the ball to pad his resume. Good for him. Uh, 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 uh. He didn't watch a whole lot of football, did he? He didn't watch a whole lot of Titans football because no, they didn't the they didn't commit to the run for a long time. He's the same agent, probably. I assume. Um, this was interesting. Um, I, I think we generally don't know how this one's going to go. Right. <laughs> and Lafleur's young. With I guess they hope he connects with Rogers and brings a new system over with him. But they hired the you know I think they hired someone from Jacksonville too to be the OC and. What has Jacksonville done really? I don't know. This just seems like a disaster way to happen. Um, but again, I, you know, the thing about you don't know how many people wanted to work with Aaron Rodgers. Maybe the word is out around the league. He's tough to work with. I don't know. Um, they never seem to consider 
anyone else. I think I saw Bruce Arians might have said, like, no way of taking that job, <laughs> something like that. Um, but otherwise, I don't, I don't know who else they had. I don't know what other options they had. And, and LaFleur looked, you talk about Gates, I mean, LaFleur looked kind of like shocked he had the job in the press conference. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely right. I, I was shocked when I saw him pop up in like the top five in betting odds. I said, okay, well, that's nice. We'll see where he is in a couple of years. And then, boom, he's the first guy off the board. Like, you hired this guy because you were afraid the whole world, apparently, was going to grab Matt LaFleur. Now the questions surround a couple of other players, one of them being Nick Foles. Now that John D. Filippo goes to Jacksonville, that opens up the can of worms that maybe Foles could end up there. I don't know. You and I have kind of been down on Foles to some extent. I've been impressed with what he's done in the postseason, but let's be real. He had three bad quarters against the Bears. He had a pretty bad second half until that last drive or so against the Saints. I still believe him to be an average quarterback that could, I mean, he's certainly better than what they have in Jacksonville, but I still feel like to get a Nick Foles, you're going to have to pay too much for a Nick Foles. Have you changed your mind on Foles, or are you still basically where you were? I'm where I was, which is uh, I think he's really good in the system the Eagles have. Uh, great offensive line, great mm. offensive line. I, I think he goes somewhere else. He's not going to be the same guy, obviously. And, and he's not a guy who is going to carry you when things aren't going well. I mean, every game he's won in the playoffs so far, things have gone really well for the team. <laughs> we saw on Sunday things weren't going so well. They couldn't even score in the second half of that game. Obviously, at the end of the game, they had a chance to score, and the ball was dropped by, by Jeffrey. But... Um, I don't know. I think he's he, look. His story is fabulous. I mean, I'm not trying to diminish his story. Mm-hmm. He had been he had been seven and zero in must win games in the last two years. You include the playoffs, the three games they had to get into the playoffs this year, and the Chicago game. But even the Chicago game, they scored 16 points. Right? I mean, it's not like they were crushing the Bears the entire game. So um, I think it'd be a mistake to pay him a lot of money. Someone's going to because there's just not a lot of quarterbacks in the draft this year. There's not a lot of quarterbacks in free agency. Um, and I can see someone like Jacksonville being like, hey, we'll put him in a he's, – he's better than, than Blake Bortles, I'll tell you that, by, by a large margin. Um, you know, let, let's put Foles in this offense. Um, we can be a little bit you know, more aggressive, push the ball downfield and, and pair with our defense and, and have a chance. So if he can win a Super Bowl, he'd obviously win a Super Bowl, so I'm not taking that away from him. Um, but uh, I don't know if he's a guy that can go somewhere, kind of a team that's not, not very good, but he's a quarterback, and go ahead and – and win them the you know winning the Super Bowl. I think Jackson would actually be a great spot for him. Yeah, I, I do too. I think that, that that's probably the right fit, but they are definitely gonna have to pay a lot of money to get a guy that I still think's probably on his usual day is about a seven or eight win quarterback generally in the league. Uh Jeff Schwartz, our guest here on the big six at Jeff Schwartz on Twitter, you can follow him there. Antonio Brown, when did he become Terrell Owens? Like we were talking about Le'Veon Bell when we were in for Clay because that was a topic that never went away. Uh, early in the season, little did we know Antonio Brown was going to become this big of a problem. How is this going to end? I, I agree. I, I agree with Rooney. I don't think that he's going to be a stealer at the start of the year. Where is he going to be? Is he going to be in San Francisco? Is he actually going to find a way to get out there? And you're talking about a 30-year-old guy commanding a lot of money at a position where 30-year-old guys generally don't. This whole thing has been incredibly strange to me because I never saw it coming from Antonio Brown. Well, he's definitely trying to force his way out. I mean, that's that's very obvious. He wants to get more money. I think someone will trade for him, whether it's the Niners. I mean, the Raiders have a ton of picks. feels like a very Oakland Raider, Mark Davis, John Gruden hire to go ahead. I mean, not hire, uh, acquisition to move, you know, move on the first-round picks. Um, yeah, I mean, I, look, I, I think we've said this before on the show, uh, on Clay's show. Um, wide receivers 
naturally are divas because yes. they th- their job is the only one them and cornerbacks where it really is just you're on an island like it's you against the quarterback. Yeah, it's one on one, and when the ball is in the air, everybody's eyes are trained on those two players right. because they're they know they're about to be engaged in right. what's either going to be a big gain or a big breakup. And of course, you have to rely on your quarterback to get you the ball. But you know, as an offensive lineman, I have to. You know, for things to go well, you know, my other guys have to block well. For quarterback to, to, to you know to get the ball off, you know, that he has to be able to to have protection. For a tight end to do his job, you know, maybe the the, the wide receiver's got to crowd for him, right? So, wide receiver is just so such an, individ, an individualistic position that I see why um, guys are guys um, can uh, you know can be that way. The two games this weekend coming up in two days, the four best teams in the league throughout much of the year. That These are the teams that we thought were the four best. Then we all said, hey, it's wide open. Anybody could get there. And yet here are the four teams standing, the four top scoring offenses, all these great quarterbacks. This is going to be a lot of fun this weekend. How do you see these two games going? I picked the NFC Championship game before you came on, and I'm sticking with the Saints because I don't think anybody could beat them in that building. I think they'll beat the Rams by a couple of touchdowns, even though we'll see. And the Rams could certainly beat them. I'm going to save my AFC pick for the final segment of the show, but how, where are you on these two games? Yeah, I, mean, I really like the Saints in this first game on Sunday. I, it's the one I feel more most comfortable about, about picking. The Saints kind of had their hiccup early in that Eagles game, and they played really well in the second half, of that, especially on defense. Offensively, you know, their offensive line is really good when healthy. The problem is their left tackle is a little beat up. The left guard played with a busted up hand that he just had surgery on a couple weeks uh, during the bye week, I should say. Right, tackles a little beat up, and, and the Eagles kind of gave it to him early on, and, and they kind of figured things out and got it going in the second half. So, I, you know, Drew B. fixing it with the dome at home. Um, I just feel more comfortable taking them. I feel like they've proven that they've been maybe the most complete team in the National Football League this year, and home field advantage is big, and, and they got home field advantage, and, and I just I feel comfortable taking them. Um, I'm not. I think I would bet them actually as well, um, and uh, we'll see them in Atlanta. New Orleans will take over Atlanta. Yeah, we will. So what about the other game? Your your brother playing for the Chiefs. Man, this is so tough because it's the Patriots, but Kansas City looked awfully good, and their defense over the last month of the season began to wake up, and now their playmakers on that side of the ball are actually making plays, as we saw against Indianapolis. Um, is this, okay, you, you mentioned the Patriots. The one stat I don't really like going into this is this idea that the um, – the Patriots don't play well on the road in the playoffs. They don't. We don't have a sample size. They played right. two road games in eleven years in the playoffs. Okay, two game, road games since the two thousand six season, and they both lost to Denver. They lost to one team on the road. And Denver is a hard not arrowhead. It's not an easy place to play either. The better sample size is this season. Their defense has been atrocious on the road. Their defense has allowed like twenty four, twenty five points a game on the road, and they've allowed like fifteen at home. So you know it's like a huge split like that. So yes, they do have problems playing on the road. Um, the weird thing we've—I don't think we've seen this so, up, you know, kind of out in our faces—is they—they legit are playing this underdog role like crazy. Um, and I never—I don't think we've seen this before from them. So that kind of worries me that the motivation they have going this game. But really, from the X and O's perspective, I don't know how they stop the Chiefs' offense. Um, three of the last four games, the Chiefs have played against them, and, and three of those are with Alex Smith. Um, but two of two of the three, they scored over forty, and you know, of course, this year they scored forty with with Mahomes there as well. And so, I just I don't know how they stop Kansas City's offense. Mm-hmm. Kansas City's defense plays really 
really good at home. And they play, and they haven't played very good offenses at home, but they play better than they they play. They hold teams to under their averages at at home, even though they just aren't as you know they haven't played offenses just as good. So it's I think the Chiefs win this game because they're at home. Um, but otherwise, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots won. Like if I'd be surprised if the Rams won. Wouldn't be so surprised if the Patriots won. I mean, you're going to get a good Super Bowl out of this anyway. I would yeah, love to see way, Kansas yeah. City get there. I want to see Mahomes playing it. I'm really kind of tired. I'm a little bit fatigued of the Patriots. I like a lot of the players on this Chiefs team. I'd like to see Andy Reid maybe get this job done. Yeah. I mean, I'm an AFC West guy. I'm a Broncos fan, and I'm pulling for Kansas City. And I'm kind of pulling for the Rams. I'm just not a big Saints guy. But Kansas City's a lot of fun to watch. And Mahomes is kind of hard to dislike. Like, everything about him... I, it's going to be a great atmosphere. I'm sure that you're going to have a good time there. I'm sure Mitchell's going to play well as well. But uh, those are two great championship games. I haven't thought this postseason's been particularly good, considering what I thought we could have gotten. But I think we're about to get two spectacular football games on Sunday. Well, I think we, I think, I think we totally are. Um, you know, the wild card round was good. Last weekend was obviously dud till, till the last game. Um, but uh, yeah, I am, I'm, I'm so excited for this weekend. I can't wait. Yeah, well, enjoy enjoy the food out there as well, and uh, hopefully oh, it won't be five degrees. So oh yeah, I know you. So yeah, I know you love it. All right, Jeff, it's always good to catch up with you at Jeff Schwartz on Twitter. We will talk to you again soon, my friend. And I guess I'll see you down in uh, Atlanta in a couple of weeks, and then I'm sure we're going to be in for Clay because he always takes the week after the Super Bowl off. So we'll be doing some radio <laughs> again real soon. Sounds good, buddy. All right, buddy. Take care. That's Jeff Schwartz. We'll be right back. I will give you my AFC championship pick and lay it all out for you, plus a ton of stats to get you ready for this game. That'll finish us up. This is a big six on 104.5 The Zone. Final segment of the program, final segment of the week here on the Big Six. I'm Jason Martin. My thanks to my good buddy Jeff Schwartz. He's on his way to Kansas City to watch his brother play for the Chiefs this weekend. Of course, he was on the offensive line for eight years in the NFL himself. He's at Jeff Schwartz on Twitter. Follow him there. Talked about the NFC Championship game to open the show, and I said I would close with the AFC. I picked the Saints, so let's talk about Patriots and Chiefs. The late game, CBS, Romo and Nance. New England made the Chargers look not just bad, but completely outclassed last week. McDaniels and Belichick, perfect game plan to neutralize this DB-heavy Los Angeles defense. And even when the percentages were predictable, as all get-out. This comes from NFL Next Gen Stats. I'm going to drop some numbers on you here. James White on the field for 36 plays against the Chargers on Sunday. Targeted 17 times, ran 33 routes. Of those 36 snaps he played, the Patriots threw the football on 35 of them. They only ran it one time. He caught 15 to 17. When Sony Michelle was on the field, New England ran it 82% of the time. And when Michelle and Devlin were both on the field together, the Pats ran it 90% of the time. And how did the Chargers react? When New England lined up in 21 personnel, that's two backs, one tight end, two receivers, not once did the Chargers stack the box to stop the run. On those 21 personnel plays, 15 carries, 101 yards, three touchdowns. My argument Monday against my own logic from the weekend was that the teams still alive are the smartest in the NFL. And the fifth on that list is probably the Eagles, who had a chance to beat the Saints late. That hasn't changed. So now you look at a matchup with one team always used to being in this position, not used to being on the road, though, and another that is used to making the playoffs but losing, at least somewhat making the playoffs. But Patrick Mahomes isn't used to losing at all. 
And none of us were used to watching the Chiefs' defense look like it did against the Colts on Saturday. So what's going to give? Pats are at their best in the secondary when engaging in press coverage. Again, more from NFL Next Gen. Stephon Gilmore, all those guys do incredibly well in press coverage. You know who the best wide receiver in the NFL against press coverage is this season and actually the best against press coverage since 2016 is? Tyreek Hill. He gets over four yards per route against press coverage. The Patriots, since returning from the bye, have forced the highest percentage of tight window throws in the league, and they've generated more pressure against opposing quarterbacks than any other defense in football since that point. Now, their opposition hasn't been great in terms of the quarterbacks that they've faced, but it's still impressive. Patrick Mahomes has thrown more deep balls than anybody in the league this year. The Patriots are number one in the league at defending that kind of play down the field. Only one quarterback this season completed multiple deep touchdowns against the Pats. You know who that was? You guessed it. Patrick Mahomes. The reason I laid all that out for you is to tell you how special this game could be in two days. There are two outstanding matchups waiting for us. Hopefully, they're both going to live up to the hype. This has not been a great NFL postseason. But just like in college basketball or most sports, even though we love the Cinderella's early, we don't care about them late. Patriots, Chiefs, Saints, Rams. That's the quartet. When Chiefs-Pats happened on Sunday Night Football, that 43-40 to classic, we're all tweeting how we'd love to see that one again. Well, we're going to. When Rams-Saints happened midseason, same deal, and we're getting that one again. Rams-Chiefs, 54-51, that bonkers Monday night football game. We get a, a shot, a good shot, to see that matchup again. And if we don't, it's because we're getting New England versus New Orleans, New England versus L.A., or Kansas City versus New Orleans with the two MVP candidates matching up with one another. Fact of the matter is we cannot lose here. This is going to be great. For football fans that want to see smart coaching, and you can make your Andy Reid arguments about time management, whatever. Dude's one of the 10 best coaches maybe in the history of the league. We're just going to get four stellar teams, excellent quarterback play, and we're going to see which defenses stand up and who makes the fewest mistakes. If anybody beats themselves, it'll be curious because we haven't really seen any of these teams beat themselves. We've seen them play above themselves. We saw the Chiefs defense really come around. We saw the same thing from the Rams against the Cowboys. Can they hold up against Tom Brady and Drew Brees? That is the question. Two veteran quarterbacks there, and then two guys in Goff and Mahomes that are just in the infancy of their careers. Now, I said last week I was going to do the dumbest thing you can do in sports and pick against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick in the playoffs at home when I picked the Chargers. And indeed, it was the dumbest thing I could do because that game was never in doubt a complete and total blowout. Well, I'm picking against them on the road. It's going to be cold, but not as cold as we thought at Arrowhead. Looked like it was going to be just outstandingly cold. But now the high is somewhere around 40. It's probably going to be somewhere in the 30s, maybe the low 30s during the game. So cold, but not but cold. And you would think that that might favor Brady either way because he's used to playing in the cold. But Pat Mahomes' arm strength and arm talent was not deterred against the Colts. I think he's going to be fine. Emergence of Damian Williams has basically negated Kareem Hunt's loss. That kid's legit. He's going to be fun to watch. And this Chiefs defense, D. Ford, Chris Smith, Justin Houston, question's going to be can they get to Brady. If they can, New England loses. Chargers couldn't do it. Brady had it out of his hands in 2.3 seconds or less on average. 
So we're going to see. I think this is the year the Patriots' talent discrepancy, which may have been a little overplayed against the Chargers, does get exposed. KC has the most dangerous quarterback in the league, a great running back in Williams, the best slot guy in ages in Tyreek Hill, the best tight end in football in Travis Kelsey, a genius in Andy Reid, and be enemy for that matter, and a defense that looks a little bit better than we thought. Brady loves the fact that people are calling him underdogs. They've got these shirts out. I think that's utterly ridiculous, but it still scares the life out of me that they're trying to play that narrative. But I'm going Kansas City. Both home teams are going to win. The 2012 streak's going to remain alive. We're going to get Breeze versus Mahomes in two weeks. Two outstanding games with any luck. And on Monday, we're all going to be here in this studio breaking them down with you, dissecting them from all angles. And if I've got to eat crow again on Monday, I'll eat crow again on Monday. Enjoy these football games. I gave you enough stats to make you smarter already, so we won't do the things that make you go, hmm, to end this. I'll see you guys on Monday. Enjoy the pigskin. We'll see you Monday. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless, and good night.